From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. All right, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard around the world as a podcast. And on the radio in Southern Colorado, 91.7 KLZR, voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. My name is Matt West, and I am here to talk about cars, all sorts of fantastic things. We're talking uh, even more Pikes Peak Hill Climb stuff, but we are slowly but surely returning to the regular mediocrity of of the show. I know, the hill climb season's winding down. I I would talk about it all year if I could, but um, I can't, because it doesn't happen all year. That's okay, that's okay, though. But we do have a lot of fun things uh, in the works for you today. Going to be talking about a new documentary uh, about AMC, my favorite car company. Also, how BMW is finally jumping on the automotive subscription bandwagon. We have talked about this show in depth uh, on the show. We have talked about this on the show, I should say, in depth. And uh, this is one of those things. I like to think that our efforts here on the show are what caused Toyota to back off with their subscription services and, you know, go a different direction. So I'd like to think that, though, I don't know. I don't know if my contribution was very um, very effective towards that, but it is what it is. Uh, BMW is getting back on this, though. And coming up here in the third half of the show is friend of the show, Pikes Peak Hill Climb driver, fantastic racing driver, Jimmy Ford from JimmyFordRacing.com. Last week, I regaled you with my stories of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, and this week, he shall do the same, except from the perspective of someone who was, you know, actually driving in it. <laughs> See, I'm not that cool. So, but he's going to tell uh, tell how, you know, talk about how everything went, uh, how everything went with his car, uh, how the weather was. Oh, man, it was challenging. So we're going to hear it firsthand from him. You got to stick around to the third half of the show for that. Now, ladies, gentlemen, NA2 NSXs, before we get into that, I got I to gotta talk about this because there is a... <laughs> <laughs> this just this crushes my heart, okay? So there was a, a teenage girl who was going to her prom. This happened in uh, the UK, I believe that is. And her dad is a friend of a gentleman who sells uh, exotic cars, classic exotic cars. So her dad says, and his name is Darren Bullows, um, and he says, you know what, I'm going to call in a favor from... A friend who you know works with uh, who works with selling exotic classics and all sorts of things, and see if we can get my daughter something fun to ride into prom. And so, so his 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 buddy, who's the director of this dealership that sells this stuff, um, says, "Yeah, we can do that," and loans them a Ferrari F40. Now, you you you, I'm sure you know the provenance and the history behind the F40. But on the chance that you don't, that's okay. We'll get you up to speed. Um, they were made from 1988 to 1993. They've got a twin turbocharged V8 doing close to 500 horsepower. I think it's 471 horsepower. Uh, and they had this absolutely stunning look. They looked like no other Ferrari uh, at the time. This huge wing on the back, this sloping roof line. Uh, and uh, they became iconic. They became absolutely iconic because the Ferrari F40 was also up there with the, you know, the supercars of the late 80s, the Porsche 959. You had the 
F40. Later on, you had the, you know, McLaren F1, you know, and all these amazing cars. Uh, the, the Lamborghini Countach was in this bunch, too. Though, that said, the Countach and the F40... They're on a, <laughs> They're not on the same level. I I shouldn't even I shouldn't even mention them in the same sentence. But that's okay. We love them both. But that said, the F40 is an iconic car. It is absolutely spectacular, and they're incredibly rare. Uh, there's only 1,400 of them uh, built, so they're incredibly rare. They're incredibly expensive. They go at auction for uh, multi-million dollar prices. We're talking very expensive. So it is a treat to even see one of these cars. Because if you see one of these cars in person, you're seeing one of only 1,400 ever made. And uh, that's not to say that all 1,400 of those exist. I mean, when those were new cars, people crashed them. So there's even less than that now. And uh, so this gal, um, this uh, this teenage girl going to her high school prom, you know, you know, she, you know, took the opportunity to ride in this F40 and turned it down. <laughs> She turned it down. Oh, man, that just that breaks my heart saying that her dad goes to all this trouble to get a F40 called in to, uh, you know, be her prom ride. And she says, well, my friends can't all fit in it. Well, what do you expect? That's an F40. It's got two seats. That's all you get. And you get the experience of riding in a legendary Ferrari. You know, and it's funny, by the way, if you listen to this show weekly, I hope you do, by the way. Um, you will know that I, I just spent a whole segment last week clowning on the ridiculousness of Ferrari owners. I get that. I get that. I'm being a hypocrite here. The F40 is cool, though. Come on. Like, yeah, okay. F, there's there's plenty of Ferraris. You get to be around them. Whatever, whatever. But but no, the the F40 though is it just just the the sheer rarity of that car, the scarceness of those means that it is an occasion if you even get to see one, honestly, because they have such a loved history. People know them, people love them, but there's very few of them around. So, I mean, yeah, I, I've I've made many a joke at the expense of a Ferrari owner, but would I be excited to see or even ride in an F40, maybe drive an F40? Yeah, you know I wouldn't turn it down. I mean, I w it would be a disgrace to car enthusiasts around the world if I turned that down. But she did that. She did that, I know. But what they ended up coming to a, uh, a compromise was that she rode in the F40 to a pickup point where she then got into a limo. So at least they had fun with it. There was a Facebook post about it, and uh, the uh, Facebook post from the uh, uh, the dealership that actually sells these cars and, and has them uh, says, uh, whilst the car was in the area, we were able to take a family friend of the director's to her prom car and then they say, quote, that's right, this wasn't even her prom car, this was just a lift to the limo. So, <laughs> I mean, there you go, that's a, that's a fantastic way to spin it, but I think, she's, uh, I think she's ungrateful and doesn't appreciate the Ferrari, but you know what, not my decision to make, not my prom to go to. Um, what did I drive to prom? I don't, it was probably my $800 Jeep, I think that's what I drove to prom. So, I mean, yeah, what, what can I, what can I say, not even, um... Not even anything as cool as this. So there you go. I, I question her tastes in cars, but you know what? She's a dumb teenager. She doesn't know anything. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, yeah, would you take the F40 to your high school prom? You bet you would. I won't even ask you that question because I know the answer. So anyway, lots more to get to here uh, in the show. I am, I am excited to uh, get back to the regular swing of things, of course. We're going to be talking uh, a little bit about a new film 
about my favorite car company ever. If you listen to the show regularly, you know which company that is. They are the best, or I can't say the best, but they are a car company, and and that is fine. And uh, there's going to be a new documentary about them coming up, uh, as well as uh, some iffy things that BMW is doing. Yes, we're going to talk about subscriptions again, and uh, even my non-car friends, even the whole you know the whole non-car sector of the world. There's the rest of the world. <laughs> And there's us. But even they are talking about the ridiculousness of this. And then, of course, in the third segment, Pikes Peak Hill Climb driver Jimmy Ford is going to be discussing his experience on the mountain. I got that coming up right here in just a minute. And now for how things work with an engineer. Transmissions. Shift. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttlewarrior. Oh yeah, that is Bailey and his big turbo Dodge Neon SRT4 making over 400 to the wheel. How cool is that? Bailey sent that in a few weeks back. I just had to play it again because it sounds so cool. I love it. If you want to send your car sounds into the show. I can only encourage you to do that. In fact, I, I can get down on one knee and beg you to send those car sounds in because I am on a quest to play, you know, car sounds on the radio, on the podcast, around the world. And uh, of course, you are compensated for doing so. When you send those car sounds in, you are entered for a chance to win the Automotive ADHD keychain, a $25 auto parts gift so store certificate, and the new prize. Yeah, the new prize. That's coming up here uh, at the end of the month, and I am really excited to debut that. I am hyping it up only for you to be disappointed by, by it in person. No, I'm kidding. It will be kind of cool. It, it's going to not just kind of cool. It's going to be really cool, and I think you're going to enjoy it. And, uh, of course, if you want to be entered for a chance to win it, I do that drawing typically at the end of every month. I pick one person at random from all of the automotive car sounds that have been sent in. And I can't even narrow this down to automotive now because we have had motorcycle noises sent in. In fact, we've had scooter noises on the show. And uh, I know that makes um, Devin, <laughs> he knows who he is. That makes him happy. He did a burnout during my live show on the streets of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Fan Fest. And uh, yeah, right in the middle of the show, did a burnout with his scooter. It was metal. It was fantastic. So we've even we've had scooter noises on the show. So you know what? I don't care what it is. Send them in for your chance to win. That's going to be awesome. And what you can do, send it into the uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Also, th uh, Matt at throttlewarrior.com. I want to hear those car sounds. Let's get them on the show. Now, moving on with um, American Motors. Yes, my favorite car company. I know, I know. I've, I've talked about them before. I've talked a little bit about their history. Well, now there is a documentary film series that is being produced on the history of American Motors. And I find this incredibly exciting because I love uh, automotive things. I love history, and this is automotive history with one of the most fascinating American car companies, in my opinion. I mean, you know, if, if you're unaware, American Motors was one of the uh, last independent automakers in the United States. And that is also coincidentally the name of this film, the last independent automaker. And um, they made all sorts of fantastic things. They made uh, the uh, $800 Stroker Jeep I have. They made the 1977 AMC Hornet that I also have that 
uh, somehow, somehow is still running uh, despite having more rust than than actual sheet metal in it. And uh, it's still running. In fact, it's probably the most <laughs> reliable thing I have, if you could believe that. So um, that said, though, this film comes from a Emmy Award winning documentary producer. His name is Joe Ligo, and he's also got uh, automotive historian Pat Foster and a filmmaker by the name of Jim Needle. Uh, teaming up to make this film it's going to be a six-part series and i am excited for this you know are you this i don't know if you're the sort of person who gets excited about documentaries and historical films i don't always get excited about them but when they're about you know one of the coolest american car companies uh, i think that's really cool and the reason american motors has such an interesting history too is they did a lot of questionable things in the past they've uh, uh allegedly they've been accused of cheating in different venues of motorsports, but they've also built amazing cars. Likewise, there has been uh, fraud, there has been murder throughout their history, or at least at one point in their history, I should say, uh, just kind of, you know, glazing over the, the history of that company. I mean, they have a really storied past is what I'm getting at. Um, and there's a lot of very cool cars that came as a result of it. Um, and even now there's old uh, American Motors dealerships you can find um uh, you know, in some places around the country, just still the old decrepit ruins of these car dealerships. Because, I mean, look at it this way. American Motors was trying to compete with the big three. Um, you know, I mean, you have uh, Chrysler, you have Ford, you have General Motors, and then you have American Motor Company. And you have to do things creatively when you are competing with the three biggest auto manufacturers in the country you got to get a little creative and you got to be a little different. You have to stand out. And that's what American Motors did. And I love them for it. And uh, so I'm excited to see uh, this uh, documentary series when it comes out. Now, currently, the producers have a GoFundMe page and it is uh, scheduled to air coming up in 2024. So I know it's a ways out, but you know what? Films take a while to produce and um, it's going to be fantastic. You might find me donating to their GoFundMe page. Just saying. And uh, I'll also invite them on the show. We'll see if we can get them on the show to talk about the film. And uh, I would love that. Hopefully you enjoy these weird old American Motors cars as much as I do. And um, I <laughs> I can't make any guarantees that you do. But um, I think it's going to be cool. So there's that. Now, another topic here I want to move on to before we get to my guest coming up in the third segment of the show. Of course, Jimmy Ford. From JimmyFordRacing.com. You've heard him here twice before on the show, and he is making a return to talk about his Pikes Peak Hill Climb experience. But before we talk about that, I have to address BMW, okay? So um, a while back, you might remember, I did a, a segment on the show about Toyota and how Toyota misguidedly decided to start doing a subscription service for things like Remote Start and other physical features of the car. And I absolutely tore into them. I don't care that Toyota is my second favorite car company, only next to uh, American Motors. No, no, I don't care. I tore into them. I, I said, you know, in my opinion, I called them out for what it was. Uh, and it's uh, absolute nonsense doing subscription services in cars. And uh, amazingly, they reversed their decision to do the subscription service solely off of my commentary. <laughs> no, not really. Not really. That's uh, that's pretentious of me to say that. In reality, the entire um, user base of Toyotas and they, all of the consumer base, uh, virtually all of them, as well as most of the automotive journal uh, journalists out there, um, 
actually said the same thing. They said, this is ridiculous. We cannot have this in our cars. We will not purchase this. And Toyota being a company who historically has proven that they listen to their uh, buyers, um, turned back on that idea. They went back on it. They said, we're sorry, we won't do it again. And that's great. I think that's fantastic. Again, one reason why I like Toyota as a car company, not because I enjoy their products, but because I actually reasonably appreciate how they manage their company too. No one's perfect, but I think Toyota does a pretty good job overall. And uh, now that being said, BMW is on the opposite side of this spectrum because BMW traditionally, I think, doesn't get along with customers, but also they have um, made some headlines. And the reason I know this is a big story is because I've had non-automotive friends. Can you believe that? I know people who don't like cars. Isn't that amazing? I've had non-automotive friends who said, hey, did you hear about BMW doing a subscription service? That's ridiculous. And this has been reported now outside of the automotive media. It's been on different tech websites, uh, mainstream news websites. uh, And um, I think that means it has some impact. And I think people universally don't like this idea. Now, what, what happened is... Nothing new for our American market BMWs. Nothing has changed. It's just a number of journalists noticed that BMW has an $18 a month subscription for heated seats in a number of its other countries, uh, including South Korea, most notably. And uh, so they began reporting on it. And now it's it's been making the media circle as as things do. And uh, and that's one of these interesting things that, you know, brings you back to the morality and the ethics of subscription services in cars because um when you buy a car and we're not talking about leasing when you lease a car things are different i get that but when you buy a car you have purchased that machine and you have purchased the right to do virtually anything you want with that car you want to paint the dashboard pink you can paint it pink it's your car you uh want to you know you 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 want to do anything with it you want to modify it you want to just drive it it is your car and the notion that you paid for a physical feature like heated seats meaning that there is physical hardware inside the seats that allows them to be heated right it's a physical function of the car you have purchased the car and then you have purchased those heated seats you should continue to be able to use those heated seats and a manufacturer should not be able to come along and say you know we're going to charge extra for those and through computers, technology, and internet connections in virtually all cars now. We can disable those remotely and make you pay more for them. Uh, That's, morally speaking, contrary to, you know, in my opinion, the whole notion of private property, because that is, it is your car. And now, granted, if you bought the car knowing that they can do that in a roundabout way, you could kind of twist this logic into saying, well, you bought, you bought the right to have... (laughs) have those taken away from you because you knew they were going to do that or they told you they were going to do that and you bought it anyway. But that's not the point. We're not going to argue the the morality of that. We are going to argue just generally speaking, though, um, why it is absurd to have subscription features in cars. And Tesla has been known to do this as well. And Tesla has been known to revoke subscription features if they put you on their blacklist. If you do something unbecoming of a Tesla owner, they have been known to do that. And that, again, brings me to the point that when you buy the car, you should buy all of the car. You know, if you want to have the option of having heated seats, 
um, it makes sense that you would buy the car and you would option it with the heated seats and you've now bought those heated seats to go along with your car. Um, and if you don't want the heated seats and you don't want to pay for that extra feature, well, buy the version of the car that doesn't have the the heated seats is, is I guess, what I'm saying. So I, I think there's... Um, I think there's some challenges with, you know, the, the, the decision-making people make, obviously, when they buy cars. Uh, people just want to have the nicest, bestest thing. And this is one way for them to do it. And, well, if I don't like the heated seats, I can just cancel that part of the subscription. But also, when you think about however much a heated seat option costs, be it a couple hundred bucks, be it a couple thousand dollars, it depends on the car. Um, in theory, you would pay more money long-term if you had to do the subscription for the heated seats every month as well. So that, that doesn't make sense either. Now, point is, um, uh, what's interesting is there was a study conducted by Cox Automotive. And uh, of, of this study, 25% of people who were asked about automotive subscription services said they would be willing to pay an annual fee for certain features in their vehicle. 25% of people. The remaining three quarters of people, 75%, said absolutely not. We're not going to have it. I bought the car, damn it, and I'm going to have everything that I paid for. And uh, so that seems like the majority of people are on the same opinion as I am with this. I mean, I'm, I'm virtually preaching to the choir here. But um, that said, of those 25% of people who said they don't mind having subscription services, the features they said they would be willing to pay for um, as subscriptions, this is mind-blowing to me because they said the top features that they think should have subscription services are safety features. So emergency braking, so, um, you know, radar cruise control, lane keep assist, stuff like that. Emergency braking, you want to pay for that as a subscription? I think safety features primarily should be the things untouched by uh, subscription services. If you're going to have subscriptions for anything, I understand having a subscription service for in-car internet. Say you want to have a in-car, you know, wireless connection built into the car. Yeah, you pay for that. Sirius satellite radio. Yeah, you pay for that. That's fine. I don't have any issues with that. But a safety feature. Imagine this. Imagine if they, you know, granted, they're not saying the airbags are a safety feature, but if you apply the same logic to it, right? So if you say, well, emergency braking and other safety features, I'll have those as a, sub as a subscription. Well, what if, say, like the airbags, right, were a subscription? And, uh, you know, you, this is, you know, one of those things that, oh, my, uh, my uh, you know, credit card expired or whatever, and I need to update it in the account or something. Say there was an issue with the billing, something menial, something stupid, and the car doesn't think you've paid for the subscription, even though maybe you have. Um, and then you get in a crash and you die because your subscription didn't clear that month or, you know, whatever, heaven forbid the, uh, again, your credit card expired and you had to go update it in their system. I mean, seriously, like you could die, right? Because of this stupid thing. And also the fact that the subscription service requires that you, um, you know, have some sort of connection in the car, wireless connection to verify the subscription, to authenticate whether or not you have the subscription. If that part fails, and it's a safety feature, then you die. I mean, it's that's ridiculous. The 25% of people who say they'd be willing to have subscription services and more importantly believe that safety features should be subscription services, these people are absolute lunatics. And you know what? They can have their their uh, uh, safety feature subscription all they want. You know, they can have that. If that really makes them happy, they can have that, and then, you know, they can 
see what happens when that doesn't work. So, I mean, that's maybe a rude way to do that, but I don't know. I'm just saying. Now, um, again, BMW here taking a lot of flack. Uh, now, I think I will clarify is that uh, a lot of people and some non-car people I know who said, oh, BMW's doing subscription services. Everything's ruined. I hate BMWs now. Do have to realize this is not happening in the American market cars right now. Not right now. I, I, I will preface that with saying right now. Because if BMW gets it in their head, if it gets into their the, the, the bean counters heads, the people at BMW who do all the numbers and the budgets, you know, that's what the B in BMW stands for, bean counter, right? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, those people, if they get it in their heads that this will actually work and that they can actually make money doing this, that's a problem. So I think the majority of people being vocal about this, even though maybe they don't understand entirely that, well, this isn't happening in the U.S. yet necessarily, um, I think if they're vocal enough about it, BMW will be forced to listen to their customer base because no one is going to buy this stuff if they don't want it. BMW can't make any money on it if nobody buys it. And if nobody buys it, they can't make money. Therefore, they will cancel this idea and just go back to what is making them money. At the end of the day, that's how that works. So, yeah, uh, BMW should take a page out of Toyota's book and listen to their customers. Uh, and uh, I think that this is a trend that should not happen in the automotive industry. Um, several writers and people uh, in the tech space, I will say, I've read um, uh, numerous articles about this, more people in the tech space, you know, publications who do stuff more on smartphones and computers, they seem to think this is a brilliant idea. They seem to think this is the future of cars. If you don't want the feature, you just don't pay the subscription. Why pay for it if you're not going to use it? I don't, I don't agree with that. Again, my opinion, my stance has firmly been, you know, set in stone since I did that episode about Toyota, that if you bought the car and you bought the physical features of the car, you are entitled to use them because you paid for them. And um, putting them behind a paywall uh, is absolutely absurd. That also brings another question, though, that would be interesting, which is what happens if you buy a BMW, you own the BMW. Again, not lease. We're not talking about leasing it here. That's different. Uh, legally speaking, that's different. But if you buy the BMW and then you use a third-party tool, a third-party um, uh, bypass to, you know, modify the system so that it allows you, you basically hack it, you could say, for the lack of a better word, so that it allows you to have, say, the heated seats, the cooled and heated steering wheel, all that nonsense. It allows you to have that without paying the subscription. How could they charge you with anything? Could they actually charge you with a crime for doing that? Because I don't think they could because you own the vehicle. Like you you own it. Like, say you bought it in cash outright. You don't have a lease on it. None of that. Um, you own it. So, in theory, you could just modify it. And, oh, we're just going to use this hack here and uh, make it have heated seats anyway. Because physically, the heated seats are there. It's just the software is preventing them from being used. But we're just going to allow it to do that. And then BMW will get all butthurt because you're not paying their subscription service. But also, you own the car, and you're entitled to modify and do whatever you want with the car. At least speaking, I think, via the law here in the United States. I can't speak to other countries, but um, I'd be, you know, you know, what? it would be great to have a lawyer on to discuss that. <laughs> I, I don't know any automotive lawyers, but, you know, we'll go find one. So, there you go. Let me know your thoughts on this one. You can always, always chime in on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page. You know, the same place you send those cars out. So, uh, check it out. Now, on the way, my guest, Jimmy Ford. Jimmy Ford Racing is coming up here in just a minute.
Did you know, there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it, and despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. Those car sounds are courtesy of my next guest. That is his Pikes Peak Hill Climb race car. Goes by the name Bronxzilla, by the way. You can hear, <laughs> you can definitely hear why. Now, his name is Jimmy Ford. You can find him at jimmyfordracing.com. He was just there at the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb this summer. Now, Jimmy, welcome back to Automotive ADHD. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate you having me on here again. Yeah, I'm super stoked to have you on, especially after what was a crazy, crazy race week. I mean, everything leading up to the race was uh, absolutely intense all the time. Everyone was super busy. And then the race itself, you know, I mean, I think anyone listening to this now knows that the conditions during race day definitely sucked. I think that's that's the best way to put it. It was it was not warm, to say the least. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, pretty intense up there. I mean, when we got up there at about two o'clock in the morning and it was super cold, we were just like, oh, what do we expect today? You know, right, right. And that's uh, that's one of those things that's Colorado for you. It's, you know, the the end of June, you know, that you're racing in and there's snow on the on the mountain there. And for me, I I kind of recounted my story of how everything went to uh, my listeners earlier on the show. Um, but I mean, it was it was just darn cold i was at devil's playground and it was uh and i think what are we at like thirteen thousand feet at that point it's a little before the summit and i get up there at 4 30 in the morning after being in a traffic jam all the way up the mountain all night and uh and there was snow on the ground and it's like wow i haven't seen snow for uh, a whopping month here in colorado we had just had snow in may but even then it was it was cold. So now one important question though, before we talk a little bit about your experience on the on the mountain was does Bronxzilla have windshield wipers? So we did put a windshield wiper on it before Pikes Peak because we're you know, you never can expect uh what the weather's gonna do. So um yeah, we did put one on there. Awesome. At least at least one, right? Not not two, but one wiper. Yeah, and it was like a 60-degree sweep, so, you know, like the old school buses, that's where the windshield wiper came from, was the back of a Subaru, so we just uh, took it out of the junkyard, threw it on the Bronco real quick, and said, hey, just in case, you know? <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, what's crazy, too, is I was watching, um, after the race as well, I was I was watching some uh, in-car footage from uh, a number of drivers, and especially the guys running, like, the, the open cars, open-wheel stuff that has, like, no windshield, no nothing. I There were dudes, you know, literally taking, like, a microfiber towel, like a, a rag, and wiping their visors on their helmets every, like, three or four seconds. They, you know, you are the windshield wiper there. So at least at least you had that going for you. Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing both at the same time, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think even one of the guys running the uh, uh, in one of the Teslas, he was having trouble with the touchscreen in the Tesla um and uh, because he couldn't get to the defroster controls because it's all in a in a touchscreen which i mean that's uh you know again at least 
on an old school car, you kind of have things old school in that sense, as in the fact that, you know, they work. Yeah, exactly. When we're, when we're wearing gloves inside of there, it's kind of hard to work a touchscreen, but the old school stuff where you flip a switch, that's, that's good old handy, good technology there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So lots of crazy stuff on race day. I mean, there was rain, there was fog, uh, there was mechanical, you know, issues, all sorts of stuff. But before we talk about that, how have things been for you coming off of race week? Have you at least had a chance to kind of rest and recover from it? Yeah, you know, we, we uh, took the very next weekend off, went camping, kind of had some time to um, come back to uh, our senses and everything because it, it gets a little tough sometimes during race week with the early mornings and late nights and stuff. So it was kind of nice to be able to cool down. And, um, we ended up after the race, I was, I couldn't sleep. So I went and took the motor part a little bit, not too much, but yeah. then I was like, okay, just need some time off. Yeah. There you go. I, I had to take a day to just kind of sleep in myself too. And I wasn't even racing. I was just trying to, to be there to watch it. So it was, uh, Definitely, uh, definitely crazy in that regard. And, you know, of course, coming off of race week and then the week after that, you got 4th of July weekend. So that's always a perfect time to, you know, take a break, watch some fireworks, have some uh, cold drinks, you could say. Um, So anyway, now earlier, uh, you know, I I was talking to on the show here, you know, let's, you know, about some of the, the rain and all those conditions. And so how how was that when you were? Uh, when you were getting ready for the race, like Saturday night, I know they were, you know, saying rains in the forecast, don't know what to expect. How did you have to prepare for that the, the night before? Was there anything else you did? Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't really know what the mountain was going to look like, you know, with rain up there, sometimes there could be fog or, um, you know, different scenarios and you just have to try and play them all out the night before and get as much rest as you can, which was about five or six hours of sleep, get up at midnight, go back up there and see what the mountain has to bring. And then you can kind of address your strategy from there, which is, uh, I felt like it worked pretty good for us. Um, as, as far as, uh, one thing we didn't ever get a test on rain tires, which would have been nice to you. Not that it would have mattered with the engine blowing, but it would have been nice to just feel it out, but, uh, it ended up working out for us. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I was hearing too from uh, some other drivers that one challenge with the race tires was that it was wet at the bottom of the hill, it was dry at the middle of the hill, and then it was wet at the top again. So then you run into a problem where your tires don't really work well for the whole race because they're not gonna the rain tires obviously aren't gonna grip the same way uh, on that dry section that they would. So you kind of just sort of have to pick a tire and just deal with it. Yeah, that was that was one of the things when we left the start line. It got a little loose, and it was a little loose until you started coming out of the fog, and then it seemed like it was uh, starting to come around a little bit. But you know, right then it was like, oh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and let's talk about that a little bit because you did have mechanical problems on top of all of this crazy fog, the terrible cold weather, uh, you know, and the slick conditions. Because I mean, one thing too, it wasn't even just slick; it was that the visibility was bad, but, uh, you had some issues with the engine coming up. I think it was in the first, uh, section. Is that correct? Yeah, it was, uh, just after we got through the picnic grounds, um, I started feeling like we were coming down on power a little bit and, uh, which is usual for going up the mountain, but not, not as much as, not as much as we are losing. And, uh, um, I just remember coming into a corner, heard a little bit of, uh, 
um, weird sounds coming out of the engine that I got out of the corner and I was uh, in the gas pretty hard. And next thing you know, it was like, bah, 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 bah. that was it. <laughs> oh, man. And that's got to your heart's got to sink right there, too. I imagine like as soon as you know, uh oh, that's on our that's on our main run. You know, we've been you know, that's that like you get practice all week and you get a bunch of runs with that. But it's on that race day, that one run that counts. There's not really any any reruns, typically speaking. Exactly. And that's that's what I kind of felt like is when that happened, I knew exactly what it was. I knew we had lost the engine and I just eight months of preparation flashes before your eyes. But, you know, what do you do? You just got to keep moving forward. So Exactly. And the fact is you got to be up there on the mountain. You got to race anyway, one way or another. You know, it's still got to be up there and, you know, be a part of that, even if the engine goes. And I mean, you look at guys, you know, even like um, uh, they had uh, the uh, Hoonigan had their car out, that pink Porsche, the Pegasus one. They blew it, blew up the car during practice, during qualifying, you know. So, I mean, it's that's one of those things with the mechanical stuff that no matter how big you are, like once you have that run, even if you're the, you know, biggest factory funded team and you've got 10 engines, spare engines sitting in your trailer at the at the pits, if you blow it during, if the engine goes during your main run, that's that's still it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You only get one run on race day, and that's that's it. And so that's part of the challenge of the mountain that it brings to you is you get one shot at it. If you if you mess anything up or if you have any mechanical failures, you don't get another shot. So right, that's really cool. Right, and uh, so you know, and for the sake of my listeners, remind them again to kind of what your your engine setup is like. You've got kind of a you know fairly custom fairly specialized engine for your for your application here uh what's the setup again like yeah so this is like a engine that was built back in 1994 it was built built by leonard bashold um it's kind of a windsor block with a cleveland style head it has canned valves and uh it makes about 14 to 1 compression we run it on alcohol i mean it had titanium connecting rods it had um uh, a steel forged crank so um it, the thing was a pretty nice piece really um it made about 630 to 650 horsepower on the dyno so it wasn't it wasn't no slag right right and so what you said you ended up going later that night you know after racing you know tearing tearing into the engine a little bit what did you what did you ultimately find too i'm just curious to know what what broke inside there yeah so we lost a uh, number two um rod bearing and from there i just overheated the rod and with those being titanium rods i don't know if maybe the life was a little bit um out on them or what but uh it ended up breaking the rod and then uh from there it was just uh detrimental <laughs> oh is it total carnage yeah i mean I, we might be able to save the heads i don't know i'm gonna sit them down to uh rocky mountain machine and see if uh he can test them and see if they're still good i know some of the pistons slapped the valves and stuff because once that rod broke, the piston came up, hit the valve, and then um, on Ford engines, they have a pin at the front of the camshaft that um, the it drives off of. So um, it broke, it sheared that pin off because I think it put too much pressure when that um, that piston came up and hit the valve. Yeah. But then it sheared that, and then the camshaft wouldn't turn. Then the crank was still turning, and it hit all the rest of the valves. So I, I'm sure a lot of valves are bent. There's a lot of push rods that were bent. So. Yeah, and uh, so, and I, I initially, I'd seen, um, you posted on Instagram, uh, you know, earlier too, I remember seeing you post something of just turning, you were turning the crank and the valve train wasn't turning, and I'm like, oh, maybe, I'm hoping just, maybe the cam gear, you know, went, or something simple like that, but it sounds like it's a little worse than that. Yeah, <laughs> it was a little bit, 
And uh, yeah, so then when the uh, rod broke, it came up and slapped the camshaft, and the camshaft is junk. So I'm I'm hoping we might be able to save the head. Other than that, everything's pretty much junk. Oh man. Well, yeah. At least those heads, though, because those sound like they were, you know, kind of, you know, purpose built for that application, not an off the shelf part. Whereas at least you can go get a Windsor block and some other stuff and a new crank and things. Those heads sound like kind of that. Those were, you know, kind of specialized for that. Yeah, there's only uh, two of that head that are in existence, and um, luckily, I think we saved them, but we'll have to see. Oh, man. Well, I got my fingers crossed that those are <laughs> those are salvageable. So uh, that, that ties into another question I have then. So what's the, uh, what, what's the plan for, you know, building back uh, and, you know, doing next year? I know you're already going to be racing in Grand Junction, you told me before the show. Uh, you're going to be racing there. Uh, but what, what's the plan for Bronczilla especially, like Pikes Peak 2023? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'd love to run Pikes Peak again. I mean, I, I'm one of those people that's super competitive, and it's hard to leave uh, somewhere on a DNF. You know, if we would have made it up to the top or not finished well, at least we would have finished. But not making it to the top, that's just like, ah, we got to do it again. Can't leave off on a on a DNF. So uh, I think we're going to put something else together for next year. We'll just have to see how it plays out. For sure, for sure. And uh, are you thinking of any other plans, too, for uh, Bronczilla specifically? I know a lot of people are really loving that car i mean especially when we were out at the fan fest you were revving that people were having a great time with it i even was watching a um a video of uh it was on randy popest it was his uh his like post-race breakdown he did a little video and uh what's funny is he's at the in, in his video he's trying to talk at the beginning of the video and then you hear this insanely loud v8 next to him start up somewhere else in the pits and he kind of stops to look over at it I'm like i know i know that was you i guarantee that was you rev bombing randy popes there maybe inadvertently but rev bombing him all the same yeah i think he was uh pitted right across from us so <laughs> i was like i recognize that engine after hearing it at the fan fest i recognize i recognize that so uh, we're just letting everybody know we were there and it was time to wake up that's about it yep yep that's uh, what, what alarm clock right there right um <laughs> I was when I was on the top up at Devil's Playground, um, I managed to get up there and get like a couple of hours of sleep in my truck and, uh, you know, just sleeping in the, the, the driver's seat. And uh, I knew the racing had started because I heard race cars. That's what woke me up. It wasn't the fact that, you know, it was lighter outside now. No, it was, <laughs> it was the race cars. Yeah, exactly. What better of, a, of an alarm clock than to have race cars waking you up? That's that's where it's at. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. So now going into, all right, the idea of running next year or, you know, even just doing more hill climb stuff with Bronczilla until then, is there anything you would change about your setup now, knowing that you've got essentially another year to prep for this now? Is there anything you would do a little differently with it? Yeah, I think we're going to stiffen it up some more. I mean, it was hard. We were kind of stuck with what we had um, coming into practice week. It was pretty much impossible to get the parts that we needed to stiffen it up a little more. So um, as far as the suspension goes, we, we wanted to go with some stiffer springs and a stiffer sway bar. And um, Next year, we're going to – we kind of ran out of time coming into this year. We want to put a sway bar on the rear. And, you know, there's there's a few other modifications that we want to do with our aerodynamics and stuff like that. So it, um, we got a little bit of work ahead of us, uh, mainly the engine. We got we have a spare, but I'm looking to uh, see if I can find something that's gonna get us a little bit higher up in horsepower than what we were this year. But yeah, we got we got quite a few things planned for the off season. I think we're just gonna focus on 
the Brockzilla running for Pikes Peak next year if we get accepted in again, and then uh, go from there. That's going to be awesome. And you're saying more power on that. Are you thinking anything with uh, maybe forced induction, bigger displacement? Any any idea? I know it's early, but any ideas so far? Yeah, I've I've been tossing both ideas around with uh, forced induction or naturally aspirated, and uh, we we have a couple of leads that we're going to pursue. Um, well, two of them being uh, forced induction, and then one of them being naturally aspirated. And we'll just see what, how it all plays out, what the best option is going to be um, for us and fitting it into the Bronco. Right, right. And at least it's at least it's not a stock Bronco in the sense that you got to, you know, work around the normal engine-based stuff. I, I think you got maybe a tiny bit more room in there than a, uh, than, than a stock <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with that motor being pushed so far back, the one limitation we do have is it pretty much, uh, the carburetor right now sits just behind the bottom of the windshield. So um, we're kind of limited on height right there. We can't go any lower, otherwise the oil pan will be rubbing on the ground, but we can't really go any higher, otherwise we'll be cutting cutting the windshield and doing stuff like that, which I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to get in. But yeah, I mean, there is a lot of room to improve there. Awesome, awesome. And then I guess maybe, you know, just kind of wrapping things up to, you know, looking back at some of the qualifying days and some of the, the practice days, you know, overall, how are your impressions of the mountain then, you know, before we got into all this terrible weather, I think when the weather rolled in and especially when everyone was looking at the forecast the day before, I think everyone kind of knew they weren't, that no records were going to be set this year on the mountain. So, but just looking at some of your runs on, on practice and qualifying, uh, how did that feel like with the car and getting really up there at full speed? Oh yeah, it felt good, especially looking back on it and um, seeing that we were qualified i think it was 18th overall somewhere right in there and uh that i was i was super happy we had a lot of good advice coming from uh my mentor paul dollenbeck and then uh reese millen helped me out a little bit on some stuff which was it was super helpful and uh um you know we overall we were we were really happy with even the whole experience with everything with pike speak was a lot of fun and it, you know it's kind of hard because even after the week after Pike's Peak, we were having withdrawals from it. Like, oh man, we got to get back up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and at least you got some of the Colorado Hill Climb Association stuff to to hold you over for a little bit until next year, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this weekend they're they're racing in Rangeley. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it to that one. But our, uh, the next race we'll be at is Grand Junction. That's uh, Lands End Road. It's August sixth and seventh, so we'll be there. Awesome. Yeah, I. I already am asking for time off so I can make it. I can make it down there, make a weekend trip out of it. I can't wait to go down there, cheer you on, and and see you racing that too. And that'll be kind of a return to what you're used to as well, right? Because that's going to be on dirt, if I'm correct. Yeah, that, that that's kind of where my roots are. I mean, I started out racing when I was uh, ten years old on the asphalt, but then you know the majority of my racing has been on the dirt, and that's kind of where my roots are at the dirt. So yeah, Lands in is a little over five mile course. Um, there's plenty of great spots to watch from, and uh, we, we keep we're excited to get back there. Awesome, awesome! I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to be out there, see you running that. I really uh, wish you best of luck with that. Well, thank you, Matt. Awesome, and thank you for joining me on the show here. It's always fun hearing from you. I hope in the future too we can just touch base every now and then on the show. I know a lot of my listeners as well really get a kick out of hearing you talk about the stuff you're doing with the, again, just the the, the grassroots racing aspect here. I mean, it's true motorsports. I think at its at its core. Yeah, absolutely. I love being on here, and I love talking about things you do. It's one of our uh, one of my biggest passions is racing. So I, I love to share that passion with other people too. 
Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, and there we go. I'm really looking forward to seeing Jimmy race in Grand Junction with the Colorado Hill Climb Association. And of course, I want to thank him for joining me, but also thank you for hanging out with me, talking cars on this edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. And uh, remember to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You can do it anywhere, wherever fine podcasts. And this one are downloaded. And of course, on Spotify, if you're listening there, we are at five stars on the rating. Let's blow that up. Let's make them add a sixth star just for this show. You know where to find that. Give it a rating. Check it out there. Now, I will see you same time, same place right here next week when uh, Leslie Nielsen helps us land an airplane. That's going to be weird. (laughs) I'll see you then.